morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I am your host on Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Bum, 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 bum. You know that uh, whole Amazon fiasco of 2017 leaking into 2018? Still no resolution. So if you were hoping to listen to the show and have a resolution, we do not. Still trying to figure things out there. But uh, something, uh, I guess, unfortunately happened to me over, uh, what was it, Sunday. Playing a little basketball as I try to get out and move my body a bit on the weekends. Really, I mean, every day. That's the truth. I do try to work out every day. But uh, when Sunday, excuse me, I was playing basketball. And, uh, you know, sometimes... You get punched in the face, and that's why you're injured. And sometimes you just jump, and you land, and things don't move the way they were supposed to. And uh, jumped up, landed, and kind of felt, you know, my knee buckled immediately, kind of felt things shift. That was the end of my day. Somehow, uh, with some help, made it back to my apartment. Ice, 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off, wrapped, elevated, yada, yada, yada. After... uh, several pleas from uh, everyone but my parents because I was not telling my parents about this um, decided to go to uh, a place called City MD and City MD is one of those many urgent cares you find around the city and I just wanted uh, I guess to uh, give them a shout out and, and talk about it a bit because they are really I mean specifically this one I guess in this case um, they are wonderful and what they do is wonderful Um you know, in June, actually, I had a similar basketball. Maybe the lesson is I should stop playing basketball, but no. Ball is life, for all of you that know that. Um, in June, I was playing basketball. took an elbow to the head, uh, kind of cut open my head a bit, had to get stitches. And, and you know, Hatsala, when, sometimes when you get hurt in YU, um, security gets involved. And, and it should have. In, the, in that case, they were right, too, because um, there was blood involved, and then you worry about concussion. The Hatsala came, they took me to uh, the ER. Three, four hours later, finally got staples put in my head and left at like 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, this time, though, I was like, mm, we don't need Hatsala, this is just a knee injury. Um, don't think I'm going to need a hospital visit. And then eventually, you know what, so decided to go to the uh, urgent care. I was like, you know what, I don't need to spend a bajillion dollars going to the ER waste their time. Let me go to an urgent care where it's probably quiet. Call two urgent cares within the area, literally two blocks apart. One said an hour away, one said 30 minutes, went to the 30-minute one called City MD on 181st and Wadsworth. They were great, very nice, you know, was was in a room within 30 minutes of of um entering that building. And they uh you know, did my paperwork whatever, came in, told them what happened. Once I was in the room, it kind of thirty minutes later they came back. They're like, "Sorry for the long wait. We're just things are some something's going around, you know, going on here." So I was like, "All right, whatever, fine. Like no big deal, not in any rush." Okay, playoff football on, but it was fine. I had the game on my phone. was was fine. I had a friend there. was fine. And uh, whatever, got my X ray. Had a nice conversation with the X ray lady, and uh, doctor came in, said, "You know, did the test. Said, listen, like sometimes when these things happen, you're you're uh, <laughs> maybe they're orthopedic." Or PTs or people listening that know more than I do on this. They said sometimes uh, these, uh, you know, no bone, no bone issues. So your X-ray was clean, but sometimes your thing stretches, your ligaments stretch a bit, 
So the question is, if it was it was completely torn, you'd probably be in a lot more pain. You know, he shifted my my knee left, and it was fine. But when he shifted it right, that's when I was in pain. Um, so he said, sometimes it's just a stretch. Sometimes it's partially torn. Sometimes it's worse. Um, you know, for a week you should really stay off of it. Of course, I'm at work, but a, a week you should you should stay off of it. And um, if in a week from now you're not hurt, so by next Monday, if you're if you're still in pain, you should probably get an MRI. So I'm really hoping not to get an MRI because I don't have the time. I really don't, don't want to pay for it, honestly. Um, they said, you know, your knee could get better in a week and you could start walking. If you start trusting it, you should be good. But, you know, you play basketball in three weeks from now when you feel good and, and suddenly something could give out. You never know. And, and the truth is it could give out, you know, anytime. You never know. Um, but um, really just these urgent cares are great. They, they save so much time. They save money. They save time and money, which two things in life I need, time and money, right? And a lot of people want and need. So they save a lot of it for you. Um, so, I mean, I, I, just thankful for them. And I, I guess I would suggest to people if you could avoid an emergency room and go to them. It, it, it It's really a win-win-win for everyone. Win for the emergency room because they don't need to see, you know, I don't want to say stupid injuries. But if you don't think you need a hospital for it, you should definitely go to these places. Again, save time, money. Thankful for them. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Hatsala earlier. They're, they're really the greatest and the best. I thankfully did not need them this time. But when I did need them last time. Um, very easy to deal with, and a lot of volunteers, and they do it out of the kindness of their heart, and they are great. And um, it's, it's interesting because two big organizations, and I know I'm going a little off track, that I that I really like and I've personally benefited from are both Hatzalah and Chabad. And I want to give them my money, and I, and I do. Um, you know, when I went traveling, Chabad was there for me, and that, that was really nice to to spend the Shabbos with. You know, Jewish people are really from all. I promise you, from all from America, from Europe, from from Asia, from um, from all Canada, from all around the world. Um, it's really nice, and it, it was just funny. I was talking about this with someone just in regards to giving tzedakah. It, it's not necessarily unfortunate, but the, the 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 people I benefited from the most are organizations that always get the most money, and there's mil- hundreds and thousands and millions of organizations that need my money. But I feel personally responsible to give to the ones that I've personally benefited from. Um, so I just find it kind of funny that the ones I've benefited from the most are, are the most popular ones, which I guess makes sense. Um, anyway, I just found that very interesting, but that's uh, that's my opener for you. All right, who do we got on the program this week? It's a uh, a usual week, which is which is always fun here on Bite Size. Um, this week we have an interview at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. We'll go with Joanna Shepson's interview as she speaks to um, Isaac Levy, he is a uh, he's a founder of a jewelry company. So we'll hear his story of Aliyah, how he built the world-renowned jewelry business, and how he gives back to society. And then at 10 a.m., it is Tova Knecht with Tippi Lieberman. She is a motivational speaker. If you haven't heard of her before, you'll certainly want to check it out. If you have heard her before, I'm sh- I mean, I'm sure you'll want to come back and listen to this because you know she is great. That is Tippi Lieberman with Tova Knecht at approximately 10 a.m. Eastern. And as usual, plenty of music here on Bite Size. And we kick things off with, as usual, Mahapecha Shelsim Khan a Wednesday, the second Wednesday of 2018, right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shamati Shell Simple Messi Babila Dai 
אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני, היי, תשים את הצרות מאחוריי, אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים, היי, שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי, אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני, היי, הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי, לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים,
Time for Joanna Shepson's interview with Isaac Levy right here on Bite Size on the Nahum Siegel Network. 
Today I get to interview Isaac Levy at the Evel Jewelry Company, um, and I am sitting in his beautiful office just outside of Moza, which is right outside Jerusalem. Hi, Isaac. How are you? Very good. How are you? Good. Um, so tell me a little bit about the history of the Evel Jewelry Company and a little bit about the jewelry that you sell. How many days do we have? <laughs> well, don't tell too much because the idea is we want the listeners to come on a tour and hear the full story. So just give me some snippets. Right, right. So, so the, uh, the story of, uh, of Evel started basically a little bit over 30 years ago. When um, Orna and I uh, met, we were two kids, just uh, uh, just got married, unemployed, and we didn't know what to do. And Orna said that the only thing she knew at that time was how to string pearls. So I, I asked her to teach me. And uh, when she showed me what pearls were all about, she basically opened the window to a world that I never knew, and I totally fell in love, not only with her, but also with the pearls, uh, with the world of pearls. Um, Were you living in Israel at the time? I was living in Israel since I came from Argentina when I was five years old, so absolutely, oh, wow. yes. But you still have such a nice, strong Argentinian accent. Do I? Yes, I like it. <laughs> Well, I don't. <laughs> but anyhow, um, so, so uh, she taught me how to string pearls. I had a couple of thousand dollars in my bank. I gave it to her. Uh, she went and bought some uh, pearls from her mother's jewelry store that used to have a jewelry store at the King David at that time. And uh, we started to string pearls. And 30 years after, we are here in Jerusalem in a... Um, in a very beautiful um, old winery that we turned it into the Evel Design Center. Uh, we have here over 120 Jewish families who are a part of uh, this beautiful project, a very Zionist project. Um, and we are all together manufacturing beautiful pieces and we sell them all over the world, including to our Arab neighbors. Interesting, and yeah, that actually brings me to my next question. How did you come up with the name Evel? Well, when we started the company, the name was Isaac Levy Jewelry. And um, a few years later, I did a show in uh, Basel in Switzerland, and I had just an Arab that uh, walked around, and I, uh, I invited him to come to my booth. And when he saw the line, he really fell in love with that. And he, whole, he bought the entire collection at that time, which was very surprising. And we shipped everything to Abu Dhabi. The gentleman was living in Abu Dhabi. Um, he was one of the uh, royal family that we didn't know at that time. I called him up after a few months and asked him how he was doing. And he said, well, you know, we sold only four pieces, but don't worry, next month, there is a shopping festival and it should be great and call me next month. And I called him the next month and he sold another two pieces and he said, we've got to meet. And we met and he, you know, he was very nice. He said, look, you're a nice guy. Your jewelry is beautiful. The prices are fair, but we cannot sell a, a name which is so Jewish in Abu Dhabi uh, that is Isaac Levy Jewelry. So see what you can do about it. So I flew back home, told the story to my wife and we decided to take the name Levy. We turned it backwards. It sounds 
all of a sudden exotic French, right? yes <laughs> very French right if Saint Laurent you write YVS Yvel is YVL but it's the same Isaac Levy doing the same shtick out of Jerusalem selling to the Arab world there is nothing more Zionist than selling you know to these Arab countries bring the, the money to Israel and you know and fund uh, hundreds of uh, Jewish families uh, you know working together and doing as I said beautiful jewelry Beautiful. And I've seen also, as I walk around the office, I've seen some pictures in magazines of famous Hollywood actresses also wearing your jewelry. Yes, we do have uh, a handful of, uh, of customers who happen to be celebrities. Uh, some of them you've seen, some of them you have not seen. But, uh, but we've been serving uh, you know, this crowd as well. Uh, but... You know, every woman that comes to Yvel is a celebrity for us. So. The truth is, I actually, my husband bought me something for my anniversary a few years ago. So it's, and I'm not, I don't have the budget of a celebrity. So there are a lot of different beautiful options here. Um, but one of the really nice stories and something that is worth come for, for re- listeners to come on a tour and actually see it for themselves is the story behind the Medja Maria School. Um, tell us sort of what inspired you to start it and, and what it is exactly. Well, when I came uh, to Israel in 1963, um, I was expecting to be embraced to the country in a different way. But living in a tough neighborhood um, like the Middle East, uh, I guess that people here are a little bit, a uh, little bit more rough around the edges. And as a kid, I didn't understand that. And I grew up knowing that there should be a different way to embrace Jewish immigrants to the country. Um, you know, I was blessed uh, in, in, in the future that I had. And I always remember that, that I wanted to show my way of uh, doing my tikkun olam. And uh, we started to hire mostly Jewish immigrants from, uh, from 22 or 23 different countries. Uh, that they are all today a part of Ivel. As a second stage of our Tikkun Olam, we decided, my wife and I, to dedicate a school to the Ethiopian Jewish community and give them not only a chance to provide themselves with, you know, with, a, with a proper salary, but really to provide them with a job and, and let them be proud uh, in a country that sometimes don't know, doesn't know how to do it. And uh, we teach them their uh, math, we teach them uh, Hebrew, we teach them uh, the skills to become uh, jewelers, and we uh, provide them with a, a monthly stipend. And uh, we have 21 uh, f- you know, students on a, on a yearly basis. And we are just about to finish building the upcoming uh, Mejimeria, uh, the an Ethiopian village, which is close, it stick to the factory, that hopefully when you'll come to visit next time, you'll be able to see an, an authentic Ethiopian village. Oh, wow. Uh, that, uh, that people will be able to really to understand where these beautiful people are coming from. And a lot of the people, most of the people in these courses have no jewelry background at all, right? Is no, that right? No, no. And what types of jewelry are they taking their history and their culture and putting it into the designs? That's exactly what they do. They manufacture their own jewelry. It's all silver. 
with either a 24 karat gold plating or just silver with rhodium plating. Beautiful jewelry, very authentic. Their designs, their production, they are very proud. They own the company and they today uh, make a living out of selling their jewelry. We at Ivel are helping them selling it. But um, if you're really looking to be um, a part of a good deed, a, a big mitzvah, it's, you know, it's nice to buy Ivel, but it's much more important and valuable to buy a Mejimeria piece. Uh, their prices are you know, anywhere between $50 to $200, but it's, it's such a meaningful purchase, not only for you, but also for, for the students that when you'll come and see and visit and understand, you will be a part of a wonderful uh, mitzvah that, you know, we're all here in this world to do that, to, to create those mitzvahs for others. And the truth is, when you book a tour at Ivel, um, which you can do by emailing Ivel, Y-V-E-L, at funinjerusalem.com, you get a chance to see some videos about the history of the company, about jewelry making, and you actually walk through the area where these students are working, and you see them hands-on um, creating their beautiful pieces of art. And at the end, you'll end up in the factory store where there's a whole section just devoted to their jewelry. Um, and then obviously also other beautiful pieces there. And I, I highly recommend it. It's a really nice half day out from Jerusalem, few, you know, a 10 minute drive outside Jerusalem. And you'll get a feel for everything that Isaac and his wife Orna have created here, much more than just, uh, this is not a jewelry store. This is an experience. And, and don't forget that this is a 160 year old winery and we still have a winery here and we, uh, we provide wine tastings. And uh, most of all, if you want to see Zionism in action, this is where you come and meet really people who are working not only to make a living, but working with the understanding of what the Israeli economy and what Zionism and what Judaism is all about. It's really beautiful. I'm so happy you sat with us. Thank you so much. And uh, remember, if you'd like to book a tour for the, especially this upcoming Yeshiva Week, is a great time. You could book an hour and a half tour here. And you can also book hands-on workshops, jewelry making workshops if you're interested, and also wine tasting options. So just send an email to evel at funinjerusalem.com. And now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Isaac Levy, again. Joanna Shepson is someone you want to contact over the next week or two. If you are a Yeshiva League, Yeshiva League, if you are in Yeshiva break coming up in the next few weeks and you're looking for something fun to do, maybe you have a Thursday afternoon open, maybe you have a Wednesday night open, a, a Tuesday morning, whatever it is, funinjerusalem.com, Joanna at funinjerusalem.com, you'll want to contact her for uh, some, she has so many ideas. I mean, you've heard interviews here before, but just go on the website. You could find everything and anything um, all these cool ideas to do in Jerusalem. I'm sure she could help you out in other places in Israel. Joanna at funinjerusalem.com. Plenty more coming up here on Bite Size 10 a.m. Again, Tova Connect interview with C.P. Lieberman coming up at 10 a.m. But for now, more music right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Single Network.
היום חזר, מה שהיה, היה ונגמר, מה שיהיה זה כל מה שנשאר. מה שהיה, אתה מנשלם, אתה כבר לא הולך לשם. מה שהיה, היה ונזכר, מה שפתוח זה רק אתה כל הזמן רוצה להספיק הכל פשוט תזכור כי הכל כתוב מלמעלה אז תנסה 
סמוך על הבורא הכל יכול. שוב, יש תנועה בדרך אל העבודה, אתה צולע אחר אל הפגישה, ואולי מרגיש שכל יום כמו מרוץ גם, גם אם אתה קצת מתוסכל, ונראה לך שזהו המזל, פתח בשם ותאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו, בכל הקמה זה טוב, רק תאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו, בכל הקמה זה טוב, רק תאמין בו. שלא יבוא קרידו, בכל הקמה זה טוב, רק תאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו, בכל הקמה זה טוב, רק תאמין בו. ואז פתאום תראה שלעבוד בלי לחצים אפשר ללמוד, הכל יהיה פשוט מאוד, אחרת איך אפשר לשרוד את החיים שלך, תתחיל לקחת בקלות. מה זה כסף? הפך לי יושר, אין לו משמעות. עצור לחשוב לפני שתאחר את הרכבת. הילדים גודלים ומה נשאר רק המזכרת. תגיד להם איזו מילה טובה ותחבק. יש רגעים שבשבילם תתנתק. ניסית, ניסית, שלא עשית, את הכל רצית, בנית, בנית, ומה שלא ראית, איך שהזמן עובר כאן ולא יחזור שוב לאחור לחייך. אם אתה מרגיש שאתה כל הזמן רוצה... להספיק הכל פשוט תזכור דספסיטו את החיים שלך ודספסיטו כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו בכל הקמה זה טוב רק תאמין בו דספסיטו את החיים שלך ודספסיטו כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו בכל הקמה זה טוב רק תאמין בו דספסיטו לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים מה יהיה עוד יום עד שנה אבל אני מחייך לא דואג להמשך כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה אבל אני מחייך לא דואג להמשך כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה
יש לי סיב כל הזמן, לא לבכות הכל לטובה. אסור לך להתייאש, רק תמשיך לבקש, תשמור, תשמור את התקווה. תלכי יום בן אדם, יש לי סיב כל הזמן, לא לבכות הכל לטובה. אסור לך להתייאש, רק תמשיך לבקש, תשמור, תשמור את התקווה.
Sometimes in my tears I drown, I drown But I never let it get me down, get me down. So when negativity surrounds Let's go, 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 let's go
Great to be here at Hass 30. Good evening, good evening. Ezrat Hashem, Hashanah, Ba'ab, Yerushalayim, Amen, Amen. Thank you. of hour number two and it's time for Tova Canucks interview with Tzipi Lieberman so we're just going to kick it over right now Tova with Tzipi right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network Thank you Yoni I'm sitting in the beautiful Ramada Hotel in Yerushalayim with none other than the beautiful talented Tzipi Lieberman a motivational speaker and advocate for BRCA the BRCA gene welcome to the show Thank you so nice to be here Tzipi you have an amazing story and I would love to hear it can you give us a little bit of background about who you are? I'm a motivational speaker, uh-huh. and I primarily speak about the BRCA gene, which is a genetic gene. It's connected to ovarian and breast cancer. And how I got into this is when I was five years old, my mom passed away, Sorry. leaving seven kids, and she died from breast cancer. And growing up as a child, you know, when you lose a parent at such an early age, you worry yourself about when you're going to die because that's what you, that was your greatest impact when you were really young. So those, that's something that you think about a lot. Um, 
And as I got older and I would go to the doctors and I would give my genetic history, etc., um, you know, they kind of like poo-pooed me and told me, I'm so young, I don't really have to do exams right now, um, everything is, you know, everything's fine, don't worry, you're fine, you're fine. So you know what, I, I eventually adapted that attitude uh-huh. that, that I'm fine and I don't have to worry about these things. The young age of 20, I got married at 21, I had my first child, um, and as soon as I started having children, I started to worry again. So again, I speak, spoke with the doctors and I'm like, you know, I said, look, I want exams. I want you to be on top of me. And at that time, I had absolutely no idea that there was a gene connected to breast cancer. Uh-huh. And, you know, they would do simple exams on me to humor me, but they wouldn't do anything more than that. And when I was 28, I insisted on a mammogram and it ended up being like this really horrific experience for me. I was the only young girl, you know, in the room. Uh, Of course, I went by myself and I felt very alone and I felt very vulnerable and it wasn't very comfortable and people were looking at me. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh my God, this is like so unpleasant. I never want to do this again. Yeah. And, and that was it. Like, thank God, um, it was, it was clear, it was clean. And about two years later, I made Aliyah. I, you know, when you move to any new country, you bring your medical files and you meet your doctors. And when I sat down with my doctors, I you know, told them my genetic history. And the first thing that the doctor said to me was, you know, when is the last time that you've had exams? And I said, oh, when I was 28. And he said, well, you need to be examined again. And I was like, hell no. (laughs) I'm not going through that again. Little did I know that in Israel, there's a tremendous amount of support and that it's not as, you know, as a lonely feeling. And there's an incredible um, center called the uh, Hala Center. It's run by women. Uh, you, you go in there and you do all the tests that you need to do that day and then you wait for the results and you get and you walk out with all your results. Uh-huh. So there's no waiting, there's no anxiety, anxiety nervousness. Mm-hmm. And they are aware that when women are coming in, they already have heightened anxiety and heightened you know, nervousness. And so, you know, they go out of their way to treat you very well. That's beautiful. I'm going to link the center to the yeah. interview because anybody listening right now that's in Yerushalayim in Israel, that is very good information for them, I think. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it really, it really is. It's a really uh, good place to go. My doctor was very like insistent, you know, you need to go get an exam, whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, my life was, you know, it was it was going okay. I wasn't going to rock any boats at the moment, um, and I worked very hard to have a stable life. You know, coming from a home that was a little bit broken um, due to the fact of a loss of a parent, uh, it, it's more challenging to build 
a stable home when you haven't really witnessed one yourself. Uh Um, So I worked very, very hard to have a stable home, to have a stable marriage, um, to learn what it means to be a mother. And, you know, at the moment, those were my goals. My goals were to have a normal life. Mm-hmm. Those, those were my only goals at the moment. Um, and I had four beautiful children. We made Aliyah. And that was a challenge in itself. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't willing to upset my life any further. So I kind of ignored my doctor's wow. advice. Um, they did mention to me that there's a gene that's connected to the breast cancer. And they did strongly recommend... I go and get tested, but it's not a simple thing to go and get tested because there's a lot of psychological ramifications that come along with it and you need to psychologically prepare yourself for the answer that you may not want to hear. Right. And what are you going to do with an answer like that? So I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared at all, and I just kind of moseyed on in my life. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, And so I was pregnant with number five, Uh and, um, you know, once again, my doctor said to me, okay, Sippy, you know, after this baby, I'm booking you an exam. You know, we're we're, going to get on with this. We're not going to ignore it. And I just said, yeah, 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 you know, and... Um, hoping it would almost go away. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Hoping hoping it would just go away, Disappear. you know. Living living in denial was, you know... was the, easier than... Yeah, it was the, 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 the easy road over here. Um, so I was pregnant. I was nursing. I was pregnant. I was, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like... You know, look, I wanted to have a large family, nothing to do um, with religious reasons. It was because I wanted to have that full home. I wanted to have what I, you know, didn't have the, the uncles and the aunts and the grandparents and the cousins and the everything. And I decided instead of sitting and crying about the fact that I don't have all this extended family, I'm going to just make Make my own family. And, you know, didn't quite realize how difficult that may be. But anyways, um, uh, yes, I was going to have this really large family. Okay. Um, When I was pregnant with my... Seventh child, seventh child with my seventh child. Yes, when I was pregnant with my seventh child, my beautiful, adorable Eliana, I I woke up one morning like feeling really, really panicked. It was like I just had this really strong premonition, like really strong feeling that I needed to that I needed to go and and get myself checked that, that it was time. I needed to have a, the genetic testing. And so, you know, I, I sent my kids off to school and I'm like, it's like this really like strong, strong feeling inside of me. And, um, you know, I make the phone calls, I call a doctor, I set up my appointment. Um, and I, you know, I call a friend and I ask 
her to come with me for you know the genetic testing because I was like worried about the Hebrew and at that time like I I was still very unsure of the language in Israel I was still having a hard time with it and so you know I go I go down there and they hear my whole family history and they're like oh, like of course you're a candidate to get tested right so I get tested and it's just like a simple blood test in some places it's uh saliva swab swab and or it's a blood test that's all it is it's really simple it's really easy it's nothing to get nervous about yeah and then you have to wait about you know six weeks or so really for the results and uh you know the results come in and i get a phone call and you know i was asked to please come down to hadassah hospital and you know, I, I, I kind of knew what was going to be said to me. You did. So yeah. I had an argument with her on the phone about coming down to Hadassah Hospital because I hated driving. I, I hate driving to Hadassah Hospital. I mean, like, you know, who, who, like, who loves driving there? It's like up this winding mountain. There's no parking. Actually, there's, there's, there's better parking, parking now. Now. Yeah. now there's better parking. Now there's better, they, they, they did a lot and of construction. And the view is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The view is absolutely stunning, and the people are very nice, but... But you didn't want to drive there. I didn't like... At that time, parking was actually quite difficult. Yeah. Anyways, but, you know, I'm American, and she's Israeli, so she won. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we went down there, my husband and I. We sat across from her, and she told us, she said, look, you know, I want to let you know that you tested positive for the most aggressive breast cancer gene. You're a BRCA1 carrier, and this is predominantly a Jewish Ashkenazi gene. Really? Yes. Wow. It is predominantly a Jewish Ashkenazi gene. There is BRCA1 and BRCA2. Uh, BRCA1 means that you have an 80 to 100% chance of getting breast cancer mm -hmm. and a 50 to 60% chance of getting ovarian cancer. BRCA2 is not as... Aggressive. extreme or it's not as aggressive mm -hmm. as being a BRCA1 carrier um, the statistics may be a little bit different although they keep changing uh, but the risk is higher in ovarian cancer BRCA2 is also a higher risk for a man if a man tests positive for BRCA2 yeah. a man can get breast cancer wow. so it is possible for men to get breast cancer um, especially those who are BRCA2 carriers. Uh -huh. So men should also get tested? They yes. Think it's exclusively no, this is not disease. an exclusive women's thing. It doesn't matter because there are other cancers that, I'm not going to go into them now, but there yeah. are other cancers that are connected to the BRCA gene, um, male or female. Uh -huh. um, and definitely a man should go and get tested because... Anybody who is positive for the gene, their children have a 50 to 60 chance, uh, a 50% chance of having, it's not 50, sorry, they have a 50% chance of having the gene. Uh -huh. So if the mother has a gene, that means the children have a 50% chance of having the gene. If the father has the gene, the children still have a 50% chance of having the gene. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> 
there have been like stories where the gene has been passed down paternally uh-huh. and where those men had like, either they didn't have cancers or they had some cancers, but nobody connected it, linked it to BRCA. And then out of the blue, a woman in the family line, right. you know, gets breast cancer, um, dies from it. And nobody really understood why until they started to go back in history. My mother obviously was a carrier for for the BRCA1 gene and her father also died from cancer i i don't know exactly what cancer i never knew him uh-huh. um but it was a, so it, it obviously things? was yeah. passed down paternally uh-huh. um not maternally her mother never had cancer okay. um but my but her but my mother had cancer and her sister had cancer so when you found out this information did you act proactively? What did you do to uh, offset the chance of Jeffrey dying from this uh, so, disease? I wasn't in shock that I was positive. I kind of expected it. Yeah. So I you were prepared was prepared to accept the news. Right. But I was scared mm-hmm. and I was nervous. And I had a lot of thinking to do. And when we asked them what our choices are, they told us we can take the wait and see approach, which would mean being monitored every three months or prophylactic surgery. Now we're talking seven years ago. And at that time, the subject was quite taboo. And Prophylactic surgery seemed extreme and crazy. Why would somebody choose to cut their body up? Like why, like why would you do that? So it was a huge question because my doctor told me I'm going to get breast cancer. So what do I do? Mm -hmm. I want to mention over here that there is an amazing clinic in Sharitetic Hospital. It's called the Noga Clinic. Okay. It is ran by Panina Moore. She is an incredible woman that opened up this clinic. It is for BRCA carriers. Very interesting. Nice. Yeah, it's for BRCA carriers. And what they do over there is if you are genetically positive, you come in there and if you've done, if you've already done your surgery, so then you come in once or twice a year for exams that are done all in that center. Mm-hmm. They keep your file, they get your results, you're in touch with them, they have um, a therapist to work with, they, their secretary is wonderful to speak to, Panina's amazing to speak to, a wealth of information. If you chose not to have surgery, then this would also be the place that you would go every three months to have all your exams. And what basically what it was is that instead of having a woman run to this doctor and to this doctor and to this doctor, they simplified the process where you just come to one place. It's incredible to you know sit that that's there for two or three hours, you get everything done and you walk out efficiently. Yes. It's very efficient. It's very nice. The people are very nice. Is it easier to park in Shirecetics parking lot? No. <laughs> it's not easier to park. But they opened up a new parking lot now. 
Okay. Um, yeah. But they have wonderful people um, working in their clinic, and it's it, it's covered by insurance, um, and it's stress free. And so today I'm sitting across from a healthy woman. Yes. God willing. So yeah. So to so to continue, um, we did a lot, a lot of research, and we looked up to see what is our best options due to my personal family history. And this does not mean that everyone who is a BRCA carrier needs to make this choice. And I'm saying that again, because I am an advocate for testing for the BRCA gene, but I do not believe in telling people what to do. Everyone needs to come to their own personal decision that fits their lifestyle. I chose prophylactic surgery. Um, out of, I, I spoke to many doctors. We did a lot of research. And I also spoke to Rabanim. I felt like a decision like this, I needed God on my side. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't an easy decision. And, I'm, and that was the decision we came to. Um, I, you know, there's, there's a lot to talk about, you know, how I went through it and what happened. And it definitely, you know, wasn't so simple. I had a double mastectomy, even though I already had seven children and, you know, thank God they were healthy and beautiful and I had a full family and I was very happy when the choice is taken away from any woman, it has a psychological impact on a woman. Today, I am very satisfied and happy with my seven children. Thank God. My home is... Bustling. (laughs) More than full. (laughs) Sometimes I beg them all to go find friends and leave because I need some quiet. But That's yes. Um, So it seems like life has thrown you more curveballs than anybody really should ever have to deal with. Um, but you're still sitting here across from me and you are the most positive person I think I've met. How in face of all these challenges do you stay stay so positive? So I'm going to answer this question very honestly. A lot of my younger years were about surviving, just getting through, just getting through every single day. I wanted very badly to have a normal life. I didn't know how I was going to accomplish that, but that's what I wanted very, very badly. Um, you know, and then, you know, I got married and I had children and I, like I said before, I worked very, very hard to create the home that I envisioned. And my motto is always looking to tomorrow. I don't like living in the past. I'm not saying that my past never haunts me. It does. But I put a stop sign up and I only let it bother me for a certain amount of time. And then I tell it, you're not allowed to bother me anymore. (laughs) And to me, you know, I like looking at tomorrow. I really do. I like seeing, you know, what's tomorrow going to bring me when I was hit with this news, you know what? I felt like I was really punched in the stomach and I said to God, seriously, like, have I not like I've Endured gone through enough already? Yeah, I've gone through enough already. I worked yeah. really hard. I I've created this amazing life for myself. You know, 
I feel, with the help of other people too. And of course, you know, my husband couldn't have done that by myself. Um, But, you know, now I have to handle this too. And at first I was very, very positive. And I said, it's going to be fine. I'm going to get through this just like I get through everything else. And, you know, I'm going to be really, really strong and it's going to be okay. And then I went through all the surgery and the surgery had a real impact on my body. I'm a very physically active person. And then all of a sudden I wasn't able to be physically active. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only that, but I even entered a stage of, I don't know if I want to call it depression, but there was, there was some kind of like surgically induced depression uh, that people sometimes get, sometimes get. Um, I didn't know to, I, I was warned to have a lot of support around me, but I didn't really know where I was getting all that support. So I did my best, but it wasn't nearly enough. So there were many times after the surgery that I said, what the hell did I do? Like, I just, I just, you know, set myself back so much. And now I'm going to have to like build everything back up again. Right. You know, um, and I kept, and I didn't feel happy and I didn't feel positive. And I knew that what I did was for the best for myself and for my family. I knew that. And I think like the hardest thing was, is that I told my husband, I, I, I can't feel happy right now. And I said, I can't stand feeling like this. I can't do it. And I, and I, at first I fought it a lot. I really fought what I was feeling. And then I said to myself, you know what? You don't need to fight what you're feeling. You've been through a lot and it's okay not to feel okay right now. And so I just embraced it. And I think that when I embraced my feelings, I actually started to heal internally. Wow. And there were a few different um, turning points for me. And... One of them was when Angelina Jolie um, shared her experiences with being a BRCA1 carrier. I got really angry because I was just lying around. You know, I wasn't doing anything proactive or positive about this right now. I was just feeling bad for myself. Uh And then here she gets up and talks about it. But no one else is talking about it. There's no regular Jewish women talking about it. No one. Wow. And I looked at my husband and I said, the nerve. And he's like, what? And I'm like, how dare she? And he's like, honey, you know, like, anyone can talk about whatever they want to talk about. If you're so angry, then go get up and talk about it yourself. And I said, you know what? That's exactly what I'm going to do. Wow. And so, Angelina Jolie knows and that she so inspired like, you. <laughs> So it was actually a work in progress. Um, the first thing I did was write an article in the Ami magazine. Yeah. I caused waves. Really? Because nobody had spoken about this. Yeah. And it was very graphic and blunt. Um, after that, uh, the New York Times 
uh, had made, contacted me. They made a beautiful video about you. So yeah, I think that we should share that. Um, they it actually, it's really funny how it all started out. They're like, they're like, hi, you know, we want to know if we could do a 20 minute interview on the phone with you. And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. You know, I'm very like laid back. I, I don't, I, I'm, you know, I, I can Go talk in front of yeah. thousands. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I don't, that's not my fear in life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I spoke to her a little bit and then she goes, you know, on second thought, I think we're going to come down to your home and we're going to do a face to face interview and we'd like to be a videographer. And I said, okay, sure. And it happened to be that they booked to come down on Halamoed Sukkot. Yeah. So, you know, I get my kids all dressed cute and, you know, we bring, everybody comes into our home and there's like a whole team. It's like, it's like a whole team. It, it, it's the, it's the journalist and videographer and a photographer and somebody They're from the Israeli government. I, I don't even, I don't even know. And I invite them into my home and I prepare a whole spread in the sukkah and the sukkah and I explain to them what sukkahs is. And, you know, yeah. that was like quite interesting explaining to them, you know, they're like, so you eat outside your home? And I'm like, yeah, you know, because like in the midbar. <laughs> Anyways. So we sit down and we, you know, we have this whole talk and we're talking and then they're like, you know, could we, you're going on a trip today. I said, yeah, we're going to Ghana Yeshua. And they're like, oh, can we come with you? And I said, sure, why not? So they follow us to Ghana Yeshua and they are taping my family. And I'm like, under my breath, I'm going to the kids. You warning my children I'm giving them logs and I like you know That's and yeah. anyways and then they turn to us and they go so we'd like to spend two weeks with you and your family oh my goodness and they showed up at my house every day at six o'clock in the morning and your husband was totally they, on board with this yeah my husband's really cool he's like why not what the heck and I was this is amazing when I spoke to them they said to me that they said there is no Orthodox Jewish woman speaking about this really publicly and we're very impressed. Wow. And they ended up following me for uh, about another week and a half. Um, it, you know, at one point you just got really comfortable with having a camera on your face the entire time. So yeah. you just kind of, you know, ended up just being natural, normal. The kids acted like the kids. And sometimes I would say to my husband, oh my God, if she puts that into the, into the clip, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they're going to think who knows what, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, we had a great time with her. She became very close with our family. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, Did she come back for a simple meal? <laughs> I don't know where she is now, but she, no, she's not Israeli. She came she from Africa. She, no, she's American and she worked she was working in Africa somewhere and she flew in and, uh, the crew came from different places. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was really, um, it was really interesting. It was very interesting to, you know, spend the time with her 
uh, her and my husband had backgammon competitions That's in sweet. the evening. Um, yeah. And uh, and in the end, they they posted this. They did a whole article. It was called The Cancer Divide. And what they were doing was they were going around the world to see how women in different countries deal with breast cancer. Wow. And so they were getting like different perspectives, how the world deals with it in different countries. And so I represented, I was one of the representatives for Israel. Uh -huh. They did other interviews with some other Israeli women also, but uh, with mine, they posted this media interview and it was also in the New York Times. When it came out, the article was on the front page of the newspaper. Um, it was about, I want to say three years, four years ago, something like uh -huh. that. Something five, maybe four or five years ago. And it's called the cancer divide. Um, it's really nice. Yeah, so we'll link it here. Also. Yeah, Definitely it was really there. nice to watch. So, you know what? Um, that is what gave me the confidence and the encouragement to get up and publicly speak about this. Yeah. Um, and I decided that because of my experience, because I felt like, and this is me personally, and I want to tell anyone else how they feel. Me personally, I felt there was not enough support or enough um, knowledge. I also felt like it was too taboo. And when someone asks me, what is your goal to be? I tell them my goal is that this can be a dinner time conversation. You know, no one is embarrassed to say, I have diabetes. Right. There isn't a single person out there. But that's also genetic. Someone who has, you know, childhood diabetes, that's a genetic disease. Right. But I have to be embarrassed to say that I'm a genetic carrier for breast cancer. So one person actually asked me, aren't you worried about shidduchim for your children? children? And this is the answer I gave them. I asked them if they're a religious Jew. Yeah. And they said, of course I'm a religious Jew. I said, well then, what is the basis of your religion? Emunah. That is the basis of what it means to be Jewish, right. is that you have emunah, that you believe in Hashem. Yeah. I said, no, I am not worried about shidduchim. Yeah. I said, what I am doing is a mitzvah. I am educating, I am supporting, inspiring. I'm helping people, inspiring people. Yeah. I want women to know they're not alone. There's no way that my children are going to have problems. So I guess if you ask me, back to your question, you ask me what keeps me positive. Yeah. And I guess, first of all, I just really like being happy. I mean, like, it just takes so much less energy than being angry. It's so much fun to be happy. Uh, yeah. And second of all, yeah. I don't control this world. I don't have control over what happens. Yeah. I believe that there's a higher being in charge. And, you know, I try to have the right faith and I try to live every day to be, you know, the best person that, you know, that I can be. Yeah. And I, I don't even know. It's like even a little hard for me to fully answer it because I almost feel like that's just, who you it's are. just who I am. Yeah. But I also want you to know I'm a regular person and there are days where I'm just like you.
yeah. where I get sad or I get upset or I get crazy or, you know, I, you know I, I'm a range of emotions. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm normal just like you. And, and the reason I say that is because I want people to know that whatever struggles they're going through, whatever challenges yeah. are in their life, you can get over it and still be the most amazing person ever. And it doesn't have to break you and it doesn't have to tear you apart. Wow. That's really good advice for people that are going through struggles. You know, we don't know who's listening right now and there might be people that are listening to you and they might not see the light at the end of the tunnel, but what you just said really uh, could help them. So. And I'm available for questions. I'm happy for my information to be, yeah, my personal information definitely. to be posted. I'm available for questions. People want to email me. Um, I can help with advice on doctors, um, etc. And even if somebody just needs encouragement, you know. You're a great person to talk to. So I'm definitely uh, encouraging people to reach out to you. So anybody that's listening right now, I introduced you in the beginning of the interview as a motivational speaker, and I think now everybody that listened to this interview understands why I introduced you like that, why you are a motivational speaker. Thank you. So how can people reach out to you uh, to come to their communities? Maybe they're, uh, you know, they want to inspire their community. How can they reach out to you? I think that a great way of contacting me is either through Facebook Messenger or my email, which is tzip dot Lieberman, L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N at gmail.com. I am very happy to come to different communities. This is just a very short snippet of what what my talk is about. And sometimes I even bring down a genetic counselor with me to give more of the uh, scientific information Etc. Um, for me, you're going to get more of the perspective from the human being who's going through it. Right. And, you know, then you can also have the other side also. I'm really happy to come down and speak to let women know out there that they're not alone in their struggles. Well, I think any community that brings you in will be uh, extremely lucky and appreciative to hear you speak. Thank you. So, Tippi, we talked about you going to certain communities, but I think it's very important for people to know that you do travel to the States. Yes, I do. And, uh, you know, if there's, there are communities in the States that would love to hear you speak, I think that would be beneficial for them also. Yes, definitely, 100%. Um, I've spoken before in the States, and I've spoken in Canada also, and I'm very open to, you know, coming down to the States and speaking and speaking over there. You are an Ola. You've been here for a while. You've raised a whole family here. What made you want to leave the States and come to Israel to make Aliyah? So I've got so many stories in my life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is just another story. And, you know, some people may even say that I like to say stories. <laughs> I just make stories out of everything. You're a storyteller. But, Thank God. Yes. I'm living in Israel now for 12 years. I have seven children, Kanai Nahara. I have a son who is finishing the army and a son 
going into the army. Wow. Yes, so we are. Yes, we are going to be in the army for many, many years. As each one goes out, the other one will be going in. Wow. So, and, and my older son has now just informed me that very possibly he will be signing on for longer, which oh, means wow. that I will then have two children in the army at the same time. Well, you you yeah, really I, have a lot of strength. <laughs> so, wow. yes. So, but you know what? We are happy to contribute to this amazing country that we live in and you know I feel sometimes people ask me why I don't speak Hebrew well enough and I tell them you know what I came to your country I am giving you my children <laughs> exactly if I don't speak Hebrew well enough deal <laughs> but it is very important to speak Hebrew and I'm working very very hard on it um, I originally went so so I'm going to go back to my question. I'm not going to get sidetracked. Why I made Aliyah. Uh, at the time, I, one of my sons was not doing very well in school. That would be an understatement, but I'm going to say it nicely. And unfortunately, a lot of schools feel that children need to fit in squares. Right. And my children do not fit into squares. Neither does their mom. <laughs> So, I, he ended up in public school. Wow. And the challenge with being in public school for a religious family is that your child is now exposed to many things that you may not have wanted him to be exposed to. And he couldn't go to friends' homes. There were no Jews in that school at all. Wow. He was their token little Jewish boy who went to school with Tzitzis and a yarmulke on, and they loved him. Yeah. And they totally respected us and they were really unbelievable and incredible people. They took amazing care of my son. I will have, I have tremendous amount of gratitude to them. But the point was he was not getting any kind of Jewish education and it was hard to have friends. And as he got a little bit older, I saw that if we stayed where he was, even though they were so unbelievable to him, that he, that I might just lose him. And I wasn't willing to do that. I wasn't willing to lose this kid. So I had never been to Israel. Really? Really. Wow. And my husband told me all the time that Israel is a place just to vacation. Uh -huh. But we don't really live there. Okay. And I just kind of went along with it. But when I was dealing with this, with this little boy and I went to different communities asking Jewish schools to take my child and nobody would commit to taking him. Either they didn't have the resources. It wasn't that they weren't nice. They just didn't have the resources. Uh -huh. They couldn't help him. And we were very young. And... In order for us to get a place that did have the resources, we couldn't afford it. Um, so I just looked at my husband one day and I said, we're moving to Israel. And he said, what? And I said, yeah, we're moving to Israel. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, if I move to Israel, my child's in a Jewish school yeah. because everybody's Jewish there. That was it. It was a very simple thought. And he went along with and that. He, 
I think he humored me. I called Nefesh Nefesh and I got all the paperwork and I'm not really good at filling out paperwork. So my husband filled all the paperwork out. He did everything. And then I was told if I want to go, if I want to make Aliyah, I have to come to Israel at least once. So I said, okay. So we booked a trip and we went to Israel and I enrolled my children in school and I rented an apartment. Well, and then we flew back to America and packed up the whole house. This was March. And July 1st, you made Aliyah. We made Aliyah. Unbelievable. And wow. And I'm going to tell you that it wasn't all cupcakes and candy. Okay. I didn't know Hebrew at all. All I could do was read it. Didn't know what I was reading. Okay. Didn't understand anything. Not bathroom. Not nothing. Not nothing. Okay. I, I, I think about the least Hebrew that a person could know. Yeah, that was me. Wow. Um, we moved to Ramat Beit Shemesh because I didn't know that anything else in Israel even existed. All I heard about was Ramat Beit Shemesh because that's where all the Anglos lived. Right. So that's where we moved. Okay. Um, uh, but you're not there now. No, we're not in Ramat Beit Shemesh now. I arrived in Israel with four kids. My oldest was 10. My youngest was two. Mm-hmm. And I had to find a place for my little boy. He was... He was six years old, and it wasn't, it wasn't a simple process. The first year, we went through about two or three schools, but we did find a school, and it was an incredible school. Uh-huh. Absolutely, absolutely incredible school. He stayed there until he outgrew it. Uh, the school was called Shalev. It's a school for social and emotional behavioral disorders. Okay. And the work that they do there was incredible. Um, They really helped my son out tremendously. Uh, After that, he kind of floated a bit. And, you know, but I kept him off the streets. And I kept him going. And it wasn't a simple process. And it wasn't until we hit high school. I find that the high schools in Israel are incredible. You can find anything you want for any child. And there is this incredible school in the Shomron. It's in Itamar. It's called Chitzim. It's very Israeli. It's really not for Americans. Um, But it is a school that understands boys and lets boys be boys, and lets them grow into themselves. And the children that come out of this school, they go in there a little questionable, yeah. and they come out as upstanding citizens. Of the state of, of Israel. Yeah, they're like, it's very Israeli. They're very Zionistic. They're very right-winged. Um, and they, they have a whole uh, shita on you know how they educate, and it's very into your child succeeding. My son graduated full bagrutes, um, high marks. This is the son that's joining, going to continue the army? Yes, for, he's so. going to be joining. No, 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 no. This is my second son. Oh, he's joining the army in March. Yeah. Uh, he graduated last year. Beautiful report card. Let me tell you, uh, I should show this 
Report card. Report card and who my son has become, um, you know, to some people who were not very who gave, kind. Who gave up on who him. Who gave up on him. Yeah. Um, he plays four different musical instruments. Wow. He's an accomplished photographer. He's... Uh, a very responsible young man has a full-time job. He, um, you have a lot to be proud know, of. Yes. Like I, I really feel that moving to Israel, you know, in America, he may have been treated differently. He would have maybe have been considered different or learning disabled or the kid in the special class. And in Israel, he's none of that. Just he's one of just kids. one of the kids. Yeah. He's just one of the boys. Um, they gave him the help that he needed. He caught up regular classroom, everything. Um, and okay. so three years ago, we moved, we did a really big move. We moved to a very Israeli uh, community. It's called Evan Shmuel, next to the city Kiryat Gat. Or as my children say, we now live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I felt that when I moved there, that I made Aliyah all over again. Really? And it's right at the beginning of the South. And I moved there for a few reasons. We grew out of Ramat Beit Shemesh. It wasn't for us anymore. That would be one of the reasons. And the other reason is, is because I felt like culturally, I wanted my children to identify with being Israeli. And I knew that if I continued to live in an Anglo community, that they would have split personalities. They would be like Israeli American. And I wanted to help them. I wanted to help them to feel more at home here, that this is their country, to feel more comfortable, to feel more stable in who they are. And so I did another big move. I also wanted you know, my own piece of land, you know, a larger home, I, you know, the space, the quiet. Um, I wasn't, I, I kind of got older and I wasn't enjoying city life anymore and I wanted something quieter. And so we found this beautiful yeshuv called Evan Shmuel. It is, I would say, 85% Hebrew speaking and probably, and there's like 25 families 30 families that speak English, maybe 25 families. I, I, I don't know the exact number. Yeah. We're, we're, it's very small. There's about three, 400 families all together. Would you recommend it for a place for uh, Olim like, that are just starting out in Israel? So I think it's a little difficult. If you're just starting out in Israel, it may be slight cultural shock, shock to you. Uh, it is very, it is very Israeli. Uh, there isn't really any English-speaking people in the school. It's even in Kiryat Gat, uh, very few doctors speak English. Uh -huh. So even for me, who was already living in Israel for nine years, I had found it extremely challenging to get acclimated all over again. And but my Hebrew has gotten really, really good. That has definitely improved. Uh, yes, yeah. my Hebrew has definitely improved. I have Israeli friends. They speak in Hebrew to me. I speak in English to them. That's, that's, so our, that's our relationship, but yeah. they do not speak English to me. So I am forced to, you know, understand Hebrew. I now understand a lot of Hebrew. I can read and understand because all the community WhatsApp groups are in Hebrew. And if I want to know what's going on, 
you then need to be part of I it. need to be a part of it. I need to understand what's happening. I need to read. Yeah. Uh, so I do that. I use Google Translate also. <laughs> and, and, and I love it. I really love it. It's quiet. It's nice. It's pretty. And I feel that my children who are still in school are culturally more acclimated to Israeli society. We do speak English in the home, but my three little ones speak Hebrew, which is <laughs> Hebrew and English mixed together. They are true Sabras. They're born in Israel. Yep. And all my other children are, you know, fluent uh, uh, Hebrew speaking, you know, kids. Uh, you would, when you hear them talking, you would never know that they have American weren't parents. Here. Yeah, that they have American parents and that they weren't born here. Like, right. like I, I think that my daughter, one time a teacher heard her say something in English and the teacher was in absolute shock. She had no clue that my daughter had like American speaking, that my daughter spoke English. She had no idea. Wow. So yeah, they, they do go to Israeli, very Israeli schools. For me, it was very important that if we lived here, that we acclimated as much as possible. Sippy, I am completely inspired by you. Uh, what you shared with us was very uh, personal and I appreciate you uh, sharing that with everybody. So thank you for that. And I wish you continued success and Hatzlacha and health in everything, in thank every, you. every aspect. Thank you very much. Um, before we end off the interview, I would love to hear, and my audience is waiting to hear right now, <laughs> what is your Israel happy place? If there's a place in Israel that you could call your happy place, what would it be? So, I don't even know what to choose from because I really love living here. Like, I really do. Yeah. Uh, the sun shines most of the year. <laughs> So it's just so beautiful to wake up in the morning to the sun shining. Uh, I, I think that if someone had to ask me and I closed my eyes and thought about it, I would have to say there's two things that, mm, I have to say three, I'm really sorry. I have to say three, I can't help it, I can't help it. The beach, I love going to the beach and of course I only live 20 minutes from the beach so, you so know, that's a great place to exactly. Live. Um, when I go to the beach, I, I like totally lose myself. There is one beach in Israel. There's many beautiful beaches in Israel, but there is one absolute stunning beach in Israel. And if you come to Israel, must go <laughs> and see this beach because it's off the beaten path. It is not a tourist beach. It is not a beach you're going to see on your you know, oh, this is where you go when you come to Israel. No, 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 no. This is a raw beach. You're about to get the inside scoop right now. It's called Chof Dor Habonim. Chof Dor Habonim. Yes, Chof Dor Habonim. It is uh, one of Israel's nature reserves. I've never heard of it. And it is a beautiful beach in the north. It's about, I would say, an hour and a half from Ramat Beit Shemesh. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, probably two hours from here, two hours from there. You know, that's yeah, it's yeah. kind of like in the center, like in the beginning of the north. Mm -hmm. It's a raw beach that they've never really, they haven't done a lot of work over there. So it is just absolutely beautiful. Like all the, like the land and the stones and it has all different little um, crevices and parts and hikes. And it's, it's very, very pretty. Uh, we camp out there a lot. Okay. 
So they have. You're they gonna have, see a lot of people. They have showing like up. rustic campgrounds there. Uh, I'm just letting everyone know, like, <laughs> if you're expecting these big, beautiful bathrooms. No, they don't. They have a bathroom. It's called the outdoors. <laughs> they have an outdoor shower that we hold up a towel and quickly take a shower with freezing water. Yeah. But uh, we it's, really like to camp there. Yeah. I would say my, my other, the other thing I love so much about Israel, and I think that a lot of Americans would be shocked, is I love the fashion. Yeah. The fashion is is more connected to European fashion. It's closer to the runways than the American fashion. Yeah. And it's very eclectic over here. There's bohemian, there's modern, it's bold, it's sometimes a little crazy, a little wild, a little loud. But you're describing your personality and also. <laughs> And I mean, if everybody could envision, envision you right now, which I'm sure they're going to see this on the looping video, you're in, you know, gorgeous green tights, red shoes, red sweater, and the colors are amazing. So. And everything was bought in Israel. I made in Israel. People ask me all the time where I buy my clothing, and I always tell them I shop in Israel. Like, yeah. I, and and I shop in Israeli stores, not the American stores in Israel. I shop yeah. in the Israeli stores. My last place that is very, very peaceful for me, that when I feel torn inside about decisions or I feel like I need support or I need clarity, clarity I know that this is going to sound cliche, but it's the Kotel. Yeah. When I go to the Kotel, the energy for me is unbelievable. Not everybody feels that, but I actually feel a physical energy over there. And there have been times when I've lived in Israel and things have not been easy as I'm living in Israel. I'm Bezrat Hashem for the rest of my life. Um, things weren't so easy and I would just like get on a bus. I don't like driving by the way. I would get on a bus you mentioned that. and I would go to the hotel and I would just sit there and touch those stones. Yeah. And I knew everything was going to be okay. And I know that sounds a little cliche, but it's just, I'm really just saying the truth. And I just, you asked me and I had to tell you. Wow. So that's it. I mean. I love that. And it's not cliche. It's, it, that's why people go there to feel, you know, to feel their heart. Wow. <laughs> to me. Thank you. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for sharing your story. My pleasure. And uh, mm. thank you for driving here. <laughs> Sippy actually drove to Yerushalayim to, <laughs> to do this interview, so that's... That's because I live in the middle of nowhere now, Tova, okay? <laughs> so, uh, really good. There is a bus, there is a bus from Evan Shmuel to Yerushalayim. It just takes about two hours to oh, get here. How long so. did it take you to drive here? No, driving takes about anywhere from 50 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes, depending on traffic. Yeah. Well, now that you're in Yerushalayim, so. you can go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> go hit up the Israeli stores. Okay, Sophie, thank you for sitting down with me and uh, continued health and success. Thank you. Thank you very much. Back to you, Yoni. Thank you. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Sippy Lieberman, again. Just a wonderful uh, speaker, totally inspiring and emotional. If this is the second time, third time you've heard her, then I, I assume you agree with me and you agree with everyone about it. And if this is the first time uh, you've heard of her, well, uh, I think you are going to become a uh, 
a regular listener of hers. She is great, and we thank Tova for putting that together. Tova Connect is, uh, you can find her at tovanisrael.com, Tova in Israel on Facebook for all these cool things in Israel. She's got it. Um, some great stories, just if it happens to be on a bus, in the Shuk. A lot of cool things going on with Tova. Again, Tova in Israel on Facebook, Tova in Israel. Dot com and that will really wrap things up here on Vice I know we usually do the uh, the last segment with Miriam L. Wallach. Unfortunately, we could not make it happen this week, but uh, we should be back next week, barring uh, unforeseen circumstances. But otherwise, hope you enjoy the extra music. In the meantime, Yoni and If you have any questions, comments, suggestions regarding Bite Size or the Nachum Siegel Network in general, I'm always here to help. Again, Yoni at NahumSiegel.com. I'm sure you've downloaded the NSN app. If you haven't yet downloaded, if you're if you're listening via the uh, listen line or online, and you've always wondered if the Nahum Siegel Network has an app, we do. It's the Nahum Siegel Network app. Nahum Siegel Network. Type it into your Google Play Store, your App Store. Download it, and you can listen to me from your phone, in the car, on getting ready for an airplane, right? Getting ready for that flight. You're at the, the gate. You're bored. Turn on the NSN app. We'll have music, programming, whatever it is. Listen to an archive of your favorite show. Maybe you want to listen to me. Maybe you like my playlists and you just want to simply listen to that playlist, right? You love that Mahapecha, Shel Simcha. You like the new Morty stuff, Simcha Liner, Shweki, Ohad, whoever it is. You like it. You like my playlist. Maybe you'll want to listen to that archive. So, yeah, you can find it at NachumSiegel.com. If you're at your desktop, great. But if you want it on the run, NachumSiegel Network app, iPhones, smartphones, androids, all the phones, really all the smartphones. Again, the Nahum Seal Network app. That'll do it for us here on Bytes. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Yoni Pollock, wishing you all a good day and reminding you that the bite size is always, always, always the right size. <laughs>